Hey, it's Ari again. Thanks for listening for a long time, or if you've just come to the podcast, I appreciate you being here. With the 500th and final episode coming up, I thought it might be cool to go back to some fan favorites. I always think it's important to understand where you've come from in order to figure out where you want to get to. So this episode and a few of the following are some of the favorite episodes as chosen by listeners of the podcast, members of the Replaceable Founder Facebook group, which you can join for free by going to less.do slash Facebook. And what I'd love for you to do I don't want you to leave a review on iTunes. I don't want you to go buy something from my website. Listen to the episode and then head over to www.voxwithari.com and get in touch and just let me know what you think, what you thought of it, any new ideas that you got from the podcast, whatever your biggest productivity challenges are because that's the kind of material that I love. And it fuels some of my best and most innovative ideas. Please enjoy the episode. Less doing episode 98. Ari talks with David Allen of Getting Things Done about the most widely recognized productivity system, living in email, and the brain dead list. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 98. This episode of the Less Doing Podcast is sponsored by Zirtual. Zirtual is a virtual assistant service that offers dedicated assistance. So you're always going to get the same person. They can learn your habits. You can share passwords with them. And they can really get to know the best way to do things for you. You can reach them by phone, email, and in some plans, you can actually even reach them by text. I recommend everybody work with a virtual assistant at one point or another because it is an educational process for you in terms of how you effectively communicate and delegate your needs. And now if you sign up with Zirtual and mention Less Doing or Ari Mizell, you'll get a $100 credit. So check it out because it's free for 14 days to try, or you get a 14-day trial rather to check out Zirtual. So that's at Zirtual.com and thank you for being a sponsor. Awesome. Thank you very much, Zirtual indeed. Now, we've got an iTunes review to dig into, so shall I go to that? Please. Right. Uh, this is a nice review by Nick at 5 Minutes with Dad. I am a big efficiency guy, which includes learning about doing things well and efficiently and not wasting time consuming content that is not focused. This show is super focused and useful. Great show. A lot. Thank you very much. Five minutes with Dan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so this this week's episode is a rebroadcast, but it's something that I did a while ago, and it's a very very special rebroadcast. So it's you mean a, of the interview, right? Yes. So the interview is with David Allen. So anybody who knows anything about productivity should know who David Allen is. He's the creator of the Getting Things Done methodology, GTD, as it's called, and. His book was a life changer for a lot of people. Now, I personally don't implement the GTD process in its entirety, but there are certainly elements in Less Doing that you can see 
which I actually didn't even know at the time were similar in philosophy and aligned very well with him. But besides that, regardless of the system that you use, David is an incredible resource knowledge. The interview was just so much fun. He was such a, it was such a warm conversation, honestly. And it was an interview that I did for the Entheos conference I did about a year ago or so. So I wanted to rebroadcast this now. We've got our hundredth episode coming up and I just thought this would be a nice little primer. So you'll definitely love this interview with David Allen. Now there's some links this week that I thought were pretty cool. So we're going to share those with you now. So the first one is that there was, there's a new app called Shortcut. And it's one of the many on-demand apps that are out there that I, I love and cherish. But this one basically lets you get a barber or a hair, you know, a hairstylist basically to come to your office, hotel, or home. And I really love this. So me personally and Felix, you know, you can't see our videos, but Felix and I have pretty much shaved heads. So uh, it's fairly easy. Uh, We don't require any special stylization. And sometimes you just want to get it done. I think both Felix and I... We don't require anyone else. That's right. Uh, Well, we both have it very convenient, I think, too, because our wives cut our hair for us. The benefit of having a receding hairline or having no hair on your head. This is really nice because it's just convenient kind of thing. You know, you want to get a haircut and you want to get it done in short order. Wherever you are, you can open up this app and get the version of Uber for haircuts. So I wanted to check this one out. Shortcut. I love it. Uh, Just a simple little thing you can do to save some time. I had a demo this week with a company called Witty, Witty Parrot. Now, by the way, anybody who ever wants or is thinking about they want to give me a demo or something, I love demos of productivity software. So please feel free to get in contact with me and I will check out your demo because I love geeking out on this stuff. So Witty Parrot is interesting. It's like a it's a supercharged take on the canned response, basically, or as Felix loves so much, sort of a keyboard stroke thing. Basically, what you can do is it, it integrates with different CRMs like Salesforce and others, but also with Gmail. And you can have a whole bunch of preset information or phrases or paragraphs mm-hmm. or things that you can input and you just drag and drop. And now where canned response is one of the plugins, I'm sorry, it's not a plugin actually, it's a, a built-in feature now of Gmail where you can have these template emails that you tend to send a lot, you know, like somebody asks for your biography, you might have that automatically put in there or, or something. But this goes way beyond where you have dozens and dozens or hundreds of different pieces of information. It could be information on a product or on every product that you have, uh, information on you know technical support issues that come up a lot, and you can yeah. mix and match. So you can grab the various mm-hmm. pieces of information and drag them right into the, uh, the email. And it can include attachments. It can include websites. You can have a, you know, like if, if you're always sharing this blog post people are asking about, you can have that right there and you can grab it and pull it right in. So that's already a big time saver. But what's really cool about it too, is if you're using this for a team, you can use it to maintain a consistent voice across the team. So whether you have a, a sales team or a marketing team or a bunch of virtual assistants, they don't have to rewrite all this stuff every time. They can just respond using that preset information. So it's very easy. You know, if somebody asking about this product, pull in this piece of information. It's all oh, written. Yeah. yeah. That's clever. Yeah. So it's just a really cool time saver. And again, so they gave me a, a demo this week and I loved it and I'm playing around with it. So uh, if you have a team or you do a lot of sales or stuff like that, definitely check out Witty Parrot. Now, uh, 
there was an article on Rebooted Body, which is a website I haven't seen before, actually, and I, I really like it. It's, a, it's fat loss, vibrant health, and peak performance. So that's, that's nice catchphrases. But they wrote an article about three potentially disastrous problems with bulletproof coffee. So hmm. this is fascinating to me. So first of all, I am, as I've said this many, many times on the podcast, I have a cup of bulletproof coffee probably once every two weeks. I don't, I'm not a big coffee drinker. I usually drink Cognity, actually, which is one of our other sponsors of the show. I love Cognity. But uh, bulletproof coffee I'll have once every couple of weeks. And it's usually if I've had a rough night for some reason, either the kids have kept us up or the dog decided they wanted to wake me up at four in the morning or whatever, whatever it was. So mm-hmm. they give these three reasons why they think it's not good. And, and there are plenty of people, most people who are really advocates of bulletproof coffee who have it every day. And a lot of them have it as their breakfast. So in place of a meal. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that they said was that if you're not careful, bulletproof coffee can erode your metabolism through chronic unconscious calorie restriction. Now, this, this is so, I, by the way, I want to put this out there right away. I don't completely agree. Actually, I, I don't really agree at all with what this person has written, but I think it's an interesting take on it. Mm-hmm. So first of all, they're saying you can erode it through unconscious calorie restriction. So what they're talking about is intermittent fasting. Yeah. So if, yeah, if you're not having a meal in the morning, for instance, that is intermittent fasting. So you're not doing a long-term fast, but you basically you're fasting for, depending on the person, about 12 hours every day. So between lunch, I'm sorry, between dinner and lunch the next day, you're not eating any solid food. However, you are having fat if you're having bulletproof coffee because of the butter. So it sort of makes it a little more palatable and you continue to become a fat burner. So what they're suggesting, though, is that your metabolism is basically going to downregulate and you're going to get used to that. And then it's going to cause you to have fatigue. And they list cold hands and feet. And basically what they're saying is that you're going to wreck your thyroid. That's that's essentially what. Yeah. So that's essentially what they're saying. But. There's so much evidence to show that intermittent fasting is a good thing for your body. And I, even if I don't have a bulletproof coffee, I can still do intermittent fasting because I do have a high fat diet. So it's very easy for me to skip breakfast. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it doesn't take much for people to see that if you get used to that or you can skip a meal, sometimes that really does make you more efficient. You know, it can become a distraction. You can become sort of logy after you have a big meal where you have to your body has to spend the energy to digest it. And especially if you have kids, it's really convenient sometimes to not have to worry about eating in the morning, honestly, when the morning is so crazy. So I think that if you're doing long-term fasting and you're getting onto a strict ketogenic diet, which most people, honestly, in this case are not, even if you have ketones in your body, then I don't think you're going to be wrecking your thyroid. So However, that's also something that you can check fairly easily. And Felix had his own issues with thyroid, with his thyroid. And like, you, you know when there's something off, right? Well, mm. I mean, you, you were, I mean, your hands were shaking. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. It, it was a big, it was a big deal. But I mean, all I mean is I, I knew, um, like I, I wasn't sure my, my wife was worried that it had come back. Uh-huh. Um, and I had to go to a lab to go and confirm that it hadn't. I, I didn't think it had. Um, but, you know, it's it was kind of tricky to diagnose. It was kind of, I mean... Well, but, but, more, but it was the first thing they thought of, it, and it was the, you know, so, yeah. 
Well, more, more my point is that if you were drinking bulletproof coffee every morning and you were intermittent fasting and you've had the symptom suddenly of like, not suddenly, but over time that you were feeling like really cold feet and like fatigue and stuff, you might think that, oh, maybe something's off. Yeah, you know? right, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the, uh, the next thing that they list is that they say that bulletproof coffee, when consumed as a meal replacement, can drastically reduce nutrient intake and possibly lead to deficiencies. And this is another one I really disagree with because, first of all, if, if you're... A cup of bulletproof coffee, depending on how much butter you put into it, is going to be several hundred calories. And what they're basically saying is that it's going to fill you up and then you're not going to eat other things. And I just don't buy that because, so first of all, the fat source itself is great because fat is what you need to use vitamins A, E, D, and K, which people on low fat diets tend to be deficient in. So you're really helping your body with that. I don't think people are having bulletproof coffee and then not eating a proper meal at the, the rest of the day. Like the whole point of this yeah, too right. is that you can yeah. kind of do that intermittent fasting and then eat properly. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I, you know, it, I don't even think it's really like a meal replacement bulletproof coffee. I think it's almost just like a little crutch to get through that 12 hours. Yeah, right. Where you, where, yeah. That was another thing. And then the big statement, consuming bulletproof coffee could lead to negative health outcomes. And he doesn't really give any sort of compelling evidence on that. So I, I just, I, I think it's good, honestly, that somebody's put this out there. And I think quite honestly, they probably wrote the article so that they could get some of the SEO effect of it. And somebody searching for the world for coffee might come up with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I still think that it's worth examining. And I, I like that both sides are. And keep in mind, this is coming from somebody who does not drink the for coffee every day, but right. I do understand the science. Yeah. So anyway, that was actually longer than I wanted to spend on that. But uh, so the next thing we'll get to is a Kickstarter project for the week, which is the Dharma. So first of all, uh, Felix has been using the limo lift and he's talked about that before. And I can tell you personally that his posture is awesome. And I I feel like I feel like I'm going to need it back soon because I think that my posture is starting to lack. Yeah, yeah, you should you should take it back. (laughs) I should should buy one because it's thoroughly worth worthwhile investment. Felix yeah. walked up to us the other day and he looked like he was two feet taller. So. <laughs> uh, but uh, the reason I bring that up is that the Dharma, is, and this is, this is odd, but I think it's a good thing if you have to be sitting. The Dharma is basically a seat cushion that there you, you sit on and it will monitor your posture, your sitting habits, your stress levels, and it will coach you to sit better. So there are two sides to this. Okay, so first of all... Standing at a standing desk is great, but standing all day is not great. There's, there's, I, I don't believe that standing all day is a good thing necessarily for your health because it is, it is a little fatiguing right now. Like I'm used to standing and right now I feel it a little bit at my heels that they're getting kind of tired. So it's nice to change positions, mm-hmm. quite honestly. You sh- that's, that's really the ultimate thing is you should change yeah. positions throughout the day. But it's very easy when you're sitting in a chair to sort of slump over and get low energy and really not, not, uh, sit effectively and not have good ergonomics. So mm. I think it's good that there's something like this that can sort of bring some awareness to that and and help you do it better. Yeah. So uh, if you do have to I'm sit all the time, at it right and now, I see. Yeah. Well, if you do have to sit all the time in your office or whatever your workplace won't allow you to have a standing desk, or it's just not appropriate for you to stand in some way or another, then I, I would seriously recommend looking at this. Oh, this is very clever. Yeah. Very clever idea. I like it. So then the there's two other things I want to talk about too, which is one is called the Smappy. 
Mappy. And uh, this is a, a, it's basically a home electricity monitoring system. And there's a number of these over the years, but every one that comes out, I feel like they get more right. and more elegant, honestly. More and more what? More elegant. Okay. So this one is, uh, it, it has an IFTTT plugin, which is how I found out about it. And, you know, as everyone knows, I love things that have IFTTT channels. Yeah. Uh, but basically you can monitor your home energy and if something spikes, you can get an alert. You can also control different outlets. So it's definitely something where you can go around your house, honestly, and find things that are like energy vampires that you just had no idea were sucking as much energy as they were. So and how, how does this one work you, that's different from uh, other things? Can you hear me? I couldn't hear that one, Felix. Sorry. Uh, how, does this, how is the Snappy different from, from any other... Um, energy monitors you've looked at? Uh, so this one has the IFTTT channel, so that's one thing that's nice. There's the Withings uh, thing, of course, but this one just looks like it's a little bit more comprehensive. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I haven't been able to play around with it, obviously, but a lot of what it comes down to with these things is the way that they analyze the data and the statistics that they give you. Yeah. So uh, this one, and this has like, it'll glow green if you're in, you know, saving energy and it, it'll change if you're not. And Sometimes just having that awareness, I think, is what it takes to to improve. So it it, it just looks like a more comprehensive energy monitoring system, and it's got it's got a really nice app. You can analyze data kind of like on the go and really make quick changes. So yeah. there are definitely similar things to other services out there, but this is a new one. And also, the other thing is a lot of the monitoring ones don't allow you to control the appliances. I know that the Withings does, but uh, with IFTTT and this one, you can you can really drill down and do some pretty cool stuff. So it's worth checking out. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I mean, this this looks similar to the um, to the you know the Wemo Insight Switch that I just got, but this yeah, obviously does right. a bit more and, like you say, has better anal- analytics. Um, something I'd be really interesting interested in. I don't know if this exists. Um, is have something that literally connects to the, you know, the actual main panel in your house, and that can monitor and tell you exactly how many, um, how many, you know, kilowatts you're using. At, yeah. So at there the is time. there is one actually. Yeah. There is the. Uh, and I know that the, energy companies are trying to go this way and have this be integrated. But carry on. Well, there is the, it's called the energy detective. It's called Ted, the energy detective. And they actually have, it's a clip. It's like, um, it looks like a little robot arm that like kids would use as a toy. And you can actually hook that around the main input power or output power of your, of your switch box, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. So I have used that before, but again, that one just gives you, it gives you a wattage number. You can't really get sort of statistics on it. You can't accumulate that information over time and you also can't control anything. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah. Um, all right. And then the last thing that I want to talk about today is the homeboy. <laughs> this is awesome. Okay. So I, I have drop cams in my house and drop cams are a Wi-Fi security monitoring camera, basically. So you can check on your house, you can check on your office, whatever you want. You can get alerts and it's got a cloud-based DVR. The homeboy does all that, except it is plug-free. And it's magnetic. So you charge it once every three months. Are you kidding? 
Yeah, this thing is so cool. Uh, it also has an IFTTT that. channel. I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, it also has an IFTTT channel. So, for instance, if it detects motion in a room, it can send you an email. It can do a call. But it, it's magnetic. It mounts anywhere, and it'll pivot and point wherever you want. And it runs on your home Wi-Fi network. You can wow. also basically have it. You can have it arm and disarm when you leave the house or back, come back to the house. You can have. You can share the camera with friends or family. And they're actually going to add a later on next year. They're going to add a service that will uh, monitor the video for you—a professional monitoring service. Oh wow! But, like it's an alternative to home security. Yeah, and but cool. the thing you know, what's so cool about this—the fact that it's wire-free—is a big deal. Because, for instance, I, I knew oh, when yeah. we built our house that we were going to be putting these cameras in, so I actually had the electricians install outlets up near the ceiling. But most people don't have that luxury, of course, because they're not building a house from scratch. And this makes it so you can really put these cameras anywhere. Yeah. And no bad, I mean, charging it once a quarter, I, it's amazing. Wow. That and then, you know, the thing is with IFTTT channel, you can really do some interesting stuff. So, you know, if somebody comes into a room, you can automatically turn on the lights if you have your Hue Philips lights hooked up. Or yeah. you can have, you know, your Wemo switch turn on and off if somebody comes into a room, depending on what it is. Very cool indeed. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So that's all I've got for this week. Do you have anything, Felix? Uh, no, I don't. I confess. Okay, that's fine. So, well, thanks everybody for listening in and enjoy the interview with David Allen. Awesome. Okay. Now I'm going to be speaking with David Allen, who is, if anybody could be described as a productivity legend, that would be David. He is the creator of Getting Things Done, a productivity system that most people should know about and if they don't you're going to find out all about it now so david thank you so much for talking to me my pleasure Ari. glad to be here yeah it's really an honor to speak to you so really quick first of all let's tell everybody what what gtd is and how it kind of came about for you well it's a set of best practices that i uncovered and cobbled together really that um, allow people to externalize stuff create an external mind get a lot of the stress out of their life be able to get more stuff done with less effort and allow people to really creates the conditions for people to flourish which looks like a lot of different things for a lot of different people but basically it's a it's a way to free up an awful lot of the spin that people have going on psychologically most people are walking around with a cognitive load. That's the, the new psychological term uh, that, that, that doesn't work very well when you're trying to focus and be present. So it's a set of practices that we're not born doing. They're all very simple things, and everybody does them to some degree implicitly. And I just made them explicit, made it a very well-defined and, and easy-to-follow set of uh, practices that one can implement that gets your head clear and keeps you focused. Right. Okay. So I... In, in all fairness to you, you know, one of my principles is what I call creating the external brain. And it's, it's straight up what you're talking about. You know, you, you, we, we, I say that we have not evolved biologically as quickly as we have technologically. And there's just too much going on. And we, uh, we can't be even expected to keep up with all of it. So we need to be able to offload this stuff. So let's, let's talk about that. You know, why, why is it that productivity or, you know, quote unquote productivity is so difficult for people for the most part? <laughs> Well, not everybody. You know, I, you know, everybody's productive. Everybody produces whatever they're producing. So it's it's really about how do people get more productive, or how right. do I create more of the results that I want, as opposed to whatever. And as you know, that's a we can spend the rest of our lives digging into, you know, all the all the from Maslow on how many yes. different things there are for us to uncover, you know, about all that. But simply and practically speaking. 
um, I think most people are just the, the biggest problem is people's addiction to stress. Right. Their, their willingness to tolerate, you know, a whole lot of backlog of unprocessed, potentially meaningful stuff, you know, and, you know, as you did in your way, I did in my way. I just got, you know, I, I, I had the good fortune to get turned on to what what clear space felt like, you know, years ago. And so as I got more involved in the te- in the professional world, I saw how easily clear space got screwed up. So I kept going, I kept going, how do I get back to clear space? How can I still afford the things I want to do, be able to create the impact that I want, you know, get a career that I'd like, be able to influence people the way I want, which as you know, you know, adds huge complexity to your life. The more you take on like that, if you really, you know, want to do that kind of thing, but how could I be in that and still keep the clear head? So I've been constantly, you know, exploring, researching, figuring out, you know, how to do that better. So... uh one of the things that I feel like I hear all the time from people is that they're overwhelmed, right? They're overwhelmed and they're, that stress is what not only creates more stress, but it also prevents them from doing a lot of the things that they want to do, which then, of course, creates more stress. So let, let's just talk about a little bit about in practice. You know, how does the, ex, the external mind work for you? Like, how does, how does someone do that? Well... Uh, pretty simply, get stuff out of your mind. Yes. <laughs> you know, okay. offload, unload. You know, that, you know, I, 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 you know, my wife and I live with pads like this around our house. I mean, God knows we're in the thing. Like, here's, uh, I was just on the phone to Moscow, and you know, here's some notes about that. And so, believe me, then, you know, this is going to go right over to my in basket. You know, right there, which will all get emptied soon enough. So it's in a sense, it's a very practical thing. As there, you know, anybody who keeps a calendar, why? Because I can't remember sixty-five things. You bet. You know, so <laughs> it's like I, I'm sorry that if, if you hear me. You know, I'm, I just turned sixty-eight not long ago, so I'm getting kind of cranky and direct. No but, problem. You know, but uh, hey, guys, I'm sorry. You know, if your head can't do your calendar, it can't do anything else. You know, other than be present. Your head's for having ideas, not for holding them. And so, you know, so basically there's some, there's five steps, you know, five simple steps about how do you get control and how do you get focused. But the first thing is you have to capture everything that got your attention. Anything that's banging around in your head, you need to externalize it and, and park it in some placeholder for that in some trusted bucket. Now, you can't, you can't leave it there. That's step one. Right. That's the a priori step. You need to identify what the stuff is that's yanking your chain. But then you... Then you need to stop it from yanking your chain. And what, what's that? Well, you pick it up and you ask yourself, hmm, is there something I need to do about this? Is this an actionable item? Yes or no? If it's yes, then it's like, okay, well, what would the next action be? And at the same time or as soon as I can, is there, some, is there something about this that that one action won't finish? In which case, I've got an outcome. So this thing will very likely generate an action and an outcome. And that, those are the two key elements the way you get things done is you define what does done mean about this and what does doing look like and where does that happen. So that's stage two is actually making those kinds of distinctions. So those are actually executive distinctions. No software can decide the next step on your mom's birthday, you know, or this trip to Moscow. You know, the, I, I'm sorry. I have, I have to do that. I have to think. And right. so, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons people, you know, I think are not as productive is because they don't think. 
Right. And, okay. and of course, there's that point that you wrote that down, but now is probably not the time for you. Well, of course, because we're on this interview. Now is not the time for you to be thinking about that. Exactly. Right? Yes. Exactly. No, we're into crazy making right now. We're into we're into CEO land. We're into visioning and having fun and bouncing off the wall. Absolutely. But then you and I are going to get off this podcast. Right. And then the chief operating officer part of you and part of me is going to show up and go, now, what the hell just happened? Excuse me. What? 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 Did I just commit to something? What, what, what is this? And then that's a different part of the brain. It's actually a different cognitive field inside your brain that actually does those two different things. By the way, I just found out and, you know, I'm I'm kind of researching the research that's been done in the last decade that's really validated all of this that there are actually two different parts of your brain that think about the outcome and the action step themselves. So it's kind of hard to think of those simultaneously. Interesting little piece of, piece of information I just got. But it's why sometimes when we sit down to coach people, they can't think at the project or outcome level and the action level at the same time. They actually need to think, okay, what's the next action on this? Define those actions, then loop back around and go, oh, okay, now, I need, now I've got these 40, 50, 60 projects and outcomes that I also need to think about and need to manage. But anyway, back to our thing, that's stage two, is the executive thinking. Then quickly, and then we can unpack all these in more detail. Then stage three is I need to park the results. If I decide the next step on this is something I need to do at my computer, where do I park that reminder so that my brain doesn't have to remember that, that when I have time and a computer, here's some work to do, and here's something that will move a needle for me. Once I've defined very specifically what the action is, the brain gets to relax about the thinking about it. I've now already thought about it, Mm -hmm. right? So... Um, you know, what's going to happen? Sorry. No. Um, what's going to happen is the, uh, the, the brain actually gets to let go, but only when I've decided what the outcome is and what the action step are and that I park those results in some appropriate place. So that's where I need to organize that. And the organizing is just once I decide what something means, let me park that where those things go, right? Where those things you know, and, and what happens there. Now, uh, the fourth step is I need to, once I've been done all that, I need to make sure I'm looking at the stuff. <laughs> I need to review it. So I need to engage essentially in some sort of an assessment and overview of what are all these things that I'm committed to. And then stage five is basically then I, then, then I engage my resources. Okay, here's now where I'm going to put my attention or my focus or my physical body. Here's now what I need to do given all of that. So essentially, it's capture, clarify, organize, review and reflect, and engage. And those are the five steps. So those, those are five very distinct steps, though. This is not about go get organized or go be productive. Right. You know, I understand what those, what those mean. What people are usually talking about when they're talking about I need better time management or organization or productivity is really I need more of a sense of control and more of a sense of focus. But, you know, these behaviors really are as simple as they sound Everybody knows how to do them, but for everybody to do them in the appropriate context and in the appropriate consistency, uh, that makes a huge difference. Game changing. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's several interesting points there, and I want to tack several of them. But the the point about context, I think, is really important. And one of the things that I'm often talking about with people is that there's there's timing associated with different tasks. And whether it's a time that has to be started, checked on, or finished, you can usually associate some form of timing with any kind of task or project that you need to do. And I find that people have, there are better times for them to do certain things. Like there's a better time of day for you or I to write. And those are going to be different times, you know, or to do creative work, to do busy work. You know, it goes way beyond the night owl 
versus the, the you know the, the early riser kind of thing. But so the, the context is very interesting. You know, it's like maybe you can't pay bills or do your bills at the kitchen counter, right? And you have to learn that about yourself. So how, how do you kind of figure out? I mean, obviously, some of these things are obvious. You know, if you want to go on kayak and plan a trip to Moscow, you got to be at the computer. But other than that, I mean, do you sort of take into the, the account that sort of holistic view to where, where you are, what's going on, the timing of the day, that kind of thing? Well, interesting. As you probably know, over the years, we uncovered that the once you've identified the 150 to 200 next actions on the stuff you're committed to, which is a typical number, by the way, sure. for most professional folks, that the best way to review those and engage with those is not to have them on one big list of 150 things. Because yes. then you get to a phone and you have you got your smartphone and you're out there waiting to pick up your kids and you're 15 minutes early and you got 15 minutes. You're not going to look at a list of 150 things and then try to find the phone calls in that. You'd rather have a list of all the phone calls <laughs> already right. grouped together. So in that sense, you know, common sense in a way which is once you've identified the volume of things that you have, what's the easiest way for you to engage with them? So you feel okay. How, how quickly can you see what you're not doing and feel okay about that? And, you know, what's the best context for it? And it's very, you know, once people get used to this, there's a lot of different ways you can contextualize it. There's no really right or way to do it. It's really, we'll try it out. But right. the, the common context are what's the tool or the location required to do that activity? Do I need a phone? Do I need a computer? Do I need to be at my house? Do I need to be in the office? Do I need to be at my sailboat? Where do I, where do I actually do these actions? By the way, I, 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 you, you, you laughed. That was one of the inspirations for actually creating context-specific lists was I had a friend of mine go through a seminar of mine years ago in Boston. And the guy was semi-retired, and he did a lot of stuff at his, on his sailboat up in Maine. Right. And he said, David, I, you know, I did a lot of stuff I only want to do when I'm up at the boat. And so he split, <laughs> off, he split off a, a list called At Boat. I thought, well, that's cool. And that was like prior to smartphones and prior to the palm and prior to digital. Right. So even back then, we were starting to recognize that it, it is actually useful to split off some of these reminders. If you're going to have an external brain, you need to organize that external brain in such a way that you don't have to be sitting there calling, gee, I, I need to make sense out of my brain. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. it needs to already have made sense. Now I'm just going to, you know, now it's like I'm going to move around and now I'm in this context. Let me move the needle on these eight things. Now I'm in this context. Now I can move the needle on these four things. So that's a typical way. Call at computer, at the phone, out and about for errands, at home, at the office. Those are typical ways to organize that. And then at people. In other words, I'm talking to my wife, so I need my at Catherine list. Um, I'm at my Monday staff meeting. I need my staff meet at staff meeting list. And so those are a lot of subcontext called, you know, I need to keep track of agendas that I need to go over with people. Oftentimes that's, especially the more senior you are, uh, you know, professionally or career wise, that a lot of your actions happen through other people and through your engagement and transactions with them. And so your that list gets big and a huge list you need to keep track of certainly are all the things you're waiting on for other people to do. So the waiting for list is another kind of a context. All that said, you know, people have come up with, I had a CTO once that kept a brain dead list, which is not bad. You know, when I'm brain dead, here's the things I can possibly do. They're the screw turning stuff, the things that don't require a lot of cognitive horsepower. And he just kept those, which is smart because when you're brain dead, you can't remember the brain dead things to do. <laughs> so, so when he wasn't brain dead, he came up with his at brain dead list. And that was more, where's my psychological context, not just a physical or a tool based one. Absolutely. Sometimes I've had, when I've had a lot of creative writing, 
that creative writing is an at computer stuff, but it's very different than a lot of my other at computer. Yeah, I created I created another category that's like where I where it's kind of at creativity <laughs> list or context where I'm ready to do that kind of thinking. Well, so it can, can, be we, a, can we talk? Sorry, I want to talk about that for a second. So, because you know, depending on what you kind of do for a living, you know, there's there is uh, you can sort of broadly generalize things a little bit as like busy work slash administrative work or uh, analytical work and creative work, and I. You know, I, I do a lot of writing, but I'm, I am by no means consider myself to be a good writer. It's actually very difficult for me to sort of, I, I finally found a mode for myself and it's, I have to, it has to be after 9 p.m., you know, and like I have to be in a particular chair and like that, then I can get stuff out. How, since you have an at creativity list, right, do you, have you found sort of mo- ways to flip the switch a little bit and get yourself into creativity mode? Sure. Uh, a lot of times that's just the, like you, uh, let me sit in the right chair. Let me get the right yeah. tool in front of me. Let me warm up the Ritual. computer, you know, or whatever you do. So any of those rituals, the rituals are great. You know, rituals, you, there's a part of us that loves rituals. Yes. You know, and, you know, you sit down, you pull out the, you know, my journal, which is, you know, sort of my more reflective and spiritual journal, you know, is a, a fabulous Smithson, you know, leather, you know, wonderful and my, you know, S.T. Uh, Dupont, you know, fountain pen. Ooh. So I open this up, <laughs> you know, crack the pen, get a feel for it, you know, make sure the ink is flowing on another piece of paper, and things just start to happen. So, you know, those rituals, you can't beat them. So if the more of those you can build in so that you don't have to, you know, kind of get yourself up and jack yourself up. And, you know, passion is highly overrated. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. No, really. You know, come on, because it's, it's, if you're using passion in the emotional sense, because of the, your emotional high will be matched by your emotional depression. You know, you're sure. better off okay. to build, build habitual behaviors of very simple things that when you're in those contexts, it automatically creates a different kind of a flow and the kind of flow that, that makes sense for you to do. So I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm talking to myself, by the way. I think I, the rest of my life I'll figure out, you know, how to, how to build better habits. Well, so is there any, I mean, this isn't a personal issue, but it's something that's been brought up to me before. Is there any concern there about dehumanizing the uh, the work that we do a little bit and, and removing ourselves from the ability to either enjoy the work or, you know, not that people necessarily enjoy doing administrative tasks, but uh, does it does it dehumanize? I love doing administrative tasks. I don't yeah. know why people don't like that. I do, God, too. It, it lets my brain relax. Yeah. Hi, can I just lick stamps? <laughs> Thank you very much. You know, the old crank widget jobs, those are the most psychologically healthy jobs in the world. You show up a bunch of uncranked widgets. Wow, I get to crank widgets. I win all day long, you know. So, you know, you know that's – I like those. But I, I, I get – I think I get what you're getting at, which is um, – uh, well, it's funny. I mean, years ago, I've always met, you know, Catherine and I, you know, she sits right over here. You know, we're, this is our home office and she sits right over there and she, there's her in basket. And she and I will email each other while we're sitting here. Why? Well, people say, God, that's so dehumanizing. That's so mechanical. That's like, I'm sorry. What do you want me to do? Go interrupt her in terms of her workflow? Right. Let me give her something that she can then in her own timing when she is in the right context herself, she can then engage with this. I'll be a little smarter and clearer if I sit down and write it out anyway. And then that allows when, when she and I get together, we get together. We don't have the business of life in, in, in you know, interrupting our personal relationships. Oh, absolutely. I, I get that actually a lot when I recommend that people have a, like a shared Google calendar between their spouses, which, which we do in our house and we have three kids and you know, it, it, it doesn't, 
it's not like we're scheduling appointments with each other, but it's important that I can look at my calendar and have a context and know what's going on with my family at the same time. Oh, so great. Yeah, right. No so kidding. why? Yeah, exactly. So that makes total sense. The, so what, first of all, I just want to take a sidestep for a minute and point out to everybody that they, they should be getting from this, that all of this stuff is making it so that you can then again, be present and actually do that high level work or even, or even just use your brain so that the other stuff is, when you don't have to be doing it, you're not thinking about it. Out of sight, how out about, of mind. How, how about just watching your daughter play soccer and not be on your smartphone? Right. Right. Because you don't need to be. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> you know? But if you're, if you're not emptying out your email on a regular basis, you're living in emergency scan mode, and so you're constantly addicted to that. What's the new thing that I haven't seen yet, that I haven't seen yet, that I haven't seen yet? So it's a huge, it's a huge syndrome that's going on out there. That's, that's, you know, it needs to be corrected. People are still using their psyche as their system, and they're not really cleaning up all of this backlog and going through this process that I described. So they're winding up with all of this spin going on and then constantly trying to relieve that pressure and angst by constantly trying to sort of be involved. Right. And they're, and they're never really involved. In other words, people are thinking about how they should be thinking about what they should be looking at, they, what they should be thinking about, how they should be looking at what they should be thinking about, and they never actually finish that that process. So they just walk around in that angst. If you actually understand the algorithm about how to externalize all this stuff and get it out, off your brain, it's done. It's finished. You know, you've actually finished the thinking. You don't have to finish the work, but you do need to finish your thinking about the work and park it in, in, in some appropriate place. And that's, you know, that's something, you know, as I, I sort of say jokingly, but I think about once a week. <laughs> Well, no, come on, that's plenty. Most people don't think about how they ought to be thinking and then they actually finish. But once a week, man, I sit down and, and you know, review all this stuff and oh, that reminds me. And oh, that, oh, I ought to, oh, I need to. And then, then I walk out and play with the dog. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's something that I, I've, as I said, I have three kids and they're all very young. So it, it's, it would be really easy in some cases for me to be playing with them and also be answering an email or two. And I learned very quickly that that just both suffer basically and I suffer. So it, it just doesn't make sense that way. Uh, but yeah. since you brought up email, I have to ask about that a little bit. So you are about inbox zero, right? Sure. Yeah. So, and, and what is you just, what is your sort of overall email strategy for dealing with email? Same as it is with the, my, my physical mailbox. Okay. <laughs> How long do you let it pile up before you empty it? Yeah. You know? Very good point. I, I don't know. People empty their voicemail. They empty their answer machine. They empty their physical mailbox. Why don't they, you know, a lot of people don't empty their physical tray in tray because it becomes sort of the, the, just like their email inbox, it becomes a kind of a lazy man's way to sort of collect, sort of reference, sort of things I need to be reminded of, sort of things I probably ought to need to do, sort of, I'm not quite sure what this is. I'll look at it later. And they just, you know, they're like the old cartoon character Pigpen. They keep walking around and all this, you know, just this dust <laughs> spinning around. It's yeah. just a psychological, it's just psychologically what it is. And most people have got, just, just have that because they're letting that stuff just accumulate in life and not really go through the, the rigor of capturing and clarifying and organizing and, and stepping back from it. Now, you obviously like paper, right? And there's, there's obviously some sort of uh, familiarity and ritual and, and, and method there for you. Do you, mm -hmm. do you also like digital methods? Like, I, oh, absolutely. I'm a big fan of Evernote, so. Oh, yeah. No, me too. Okay. Oh, so you use Evernote also? Oh, yeah. That's okay, because, there's, because what there's I was ask probably is, the best list manager out there now. In terms of managers, just, just especially in terms of reference. 
Well, that's what um, I was going to ask about. So with all the paper, do you have sort of a system of getting one of the reasons I like Evernote so much is that I can find an article from two years ago that's relevant to the one that I'm looking at right now without even really searching for it. So with the paper, do you, I mean, how do you sort of, you know. No, paper's getting reduced. You know, I've got a multi-page scanner right now, and so you know, I'm doing that. Catherine and I are moving to Amsterdam in a, in, a, in a few months. Oh, wow. So I'm going through all of my paper files and tossing a whole lot of stuff and scanning everything else that I can, that I can get by with. But, you know, you're still going to need paper because until you can totally digitalize passports and foreign money and other things like that, you're still going to need some place to organize some physical things. Yes. But, you know, paper's getting reduced for sure. The big problem with things like Evernote it's it's true about anything that's simple and powerful like that is you have to create your own algorithm about how you're using it. And so that can freak you out. You know, they, they give you, I mean, Phil built something so incredibly uh, uh, powerful and yeah. simple yeah. that you're the one who has to then figure out, okay, now how, how do I use it? That's why he's got all those champions that, you know, that, that they can tell you, Hey, if you're a doctor, here's a great way to use Evernote for doctors and so forth. But you're going to have to figure that out. And, the kind of good and bad news is out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, of course, the, your ability to store stuff is, is growing as well. But at some point, when you have six gazillion gig, gig and megabytes of things stored in the cloud, you know, your search function had better be really, really, really good because it can get pretty overwhelming the more stuff you have. So still, I, I still recommend, and maybe because I'm just an old fogey, that, that on a regular basis, you're going to need to do some sort of review, scan, and purge of even your digital stuff. Otherwise, yeah. it'll get really out of hand and crazy. No, and, and I absolutely get that. And, you know, the, the, like I have 9,000 notes in my Evernote, um, but I have them divided up into different notebooks, and there is some semblance to it. But a lot of them are just one of the nice things about Evernote is that uh, if you clip something online, it'll show you relevant notes from your Evernote. So that's yeah, where that I really, great. which is, that's like the light bulb going off. And I love that. But, yeah, that's great. One area where I do use paper, and it's a, it's there's not a lot of areas because I'll be honest, my handwriting is is pretty horrible. Um, I, I I think that I hit you know fourth grade right when computers were becoming like the thing to use, so my handwriting just is horrible. I use a thing in the shower called Aquanotes. I don't know if you ever heard of that. <laughs> I have. Okay. Yeah. No, I. I... Uh, years ago, somebody, you get it in a dive shop. Yes, exactly. So Aquanotes, for those listening, is a waterproof post-it notepad, basically. You keep it in your shower. Yeah. And the shower is a great place to get ideas, but you're not going to put it in your smartphone. <laughs> True. Well, people ask me, they say, Dave, what, do you, what happens if you get an idea while you're running or while you're in the shower? And I say, well, I don't, I don't frankly get a lot of ideas. You know, if you actually captured an idea the first time it occurred to you, you'd be surprised how few you have. Yeah, you know, most people just keep having the same ideas over and over and over again, and then they remember it in the shower. And then, but they, if they, if they, if they captured it the first time they had it, but you, I take showers with nothing, nothing on my mind. But again, that may be age, or you know, because I'm just you know lazy or something. I don't know. But no, I, I, I hear you. Uh, by the way, there is just a little sidebar on that. There is a psychological way that if you don't have something to write something down. What you do is use, use your associative part of your visualization in your brain. Imagine where you're, if you're out for a jog, imagine when you'll be right back to the first time you could write it down and then build a beautiful image of yourself walking in and going, ah, now I remember, and see yourself in your mind writing it down and then forget about it because that's the way the brain works. Is then when you walk back into your house, some part of you goes, oh, I've seen this before, and that picture pops right back into your mind. So there actually is. I know as California and woo-woo as that may sound, there actually oh, no. is a way, there is a way in your mind to get things off your mind. 
That is very interesting. That one I don't know about. You know, the only one that I that I know about like that is is the memory palace kind of concept where you know you're remembering the place and sure. the journey. But that it's very interesting. Well, the more absurd you can make it, because that's a lot of why the, the memory thing works. Where you know I, I tie this to this picture and whatever, right. and I see a big elephant or I see a pink giraffe or whatever. So yeah, because those are the things that there's a part of us in the brain can can remember those much more easily. Right. So now. One of the things that I tell people, at least, is that you don't need to know if it's a good idea or a bad idea. You don't have to know if it's relevant or not. But the important thing is to get it out of your head. You right? won't know. Okay. You, you really won't know. I mean, I, I throw away probably 90% of my notes. I just okay. don't know which 90% that's going to be. I want to be able to take the note because a lot of the gold is sitting inside those notes that on reflection – that's why, by the way, I don't, you know, most people go try to get organized and they try to, they try to go right to some organization system. But that capture step on the front end is very important, especially if you're creative and sophisticated at all, because you don't know the goal still yet to be mined in those ideas you had. You need to, you need to sometimes reflect back on uh, an hour or a day later on what that note was. You come out of meetings to having taken notes or you come out of conferences where you've taken notes when you heard speakers, you know, that's the you don't want to have to decide. You don't want to have to think right now. What am I actually going to do about it? You can. So it's not. You, you don't want to prevent yourself. If, oh, I'm going to make a call about that. Great. Go right to your calls list and add it. But for the most part, I need to digest that stuff and then come loop back around from another point of view. Right. Okay. And and obviously, people have to fill this out for themselves. But how often do you do that? You said it was once a week, or or how often you cut oh no, no I'm sorry that's what you said you think about the, the thing you have the systems how well often, that's my that's my weekly review is I mean on right. the, the weekly review is like step back and manage the forest instead of hugging the trees okay so that's building in that operational time where I where I actually bring bring up the rear guard catch up my system get my list current you know everybody listening and watching this right now has had you know if you think about the last three or four days you've all had something pop into your world that you need to handle finish get clarity of get res resolved or or, or, or do something about but you haven't yet had the time to sit down and think exactly what that is you just know you've got it right so building in time to be able to pick up those things uh that's absolutely critical so reflection and review time is the most lacking and the most needed and the most powerful thing people could build in and it's not there absolutely. most people do not have that habit absolutely so now this is the question that I, I never like getting. And I have, I, I think I have a good answer for it, but I, I, uh, how do you deal with emergencies? You know, what's an emergency? Well, right, exactly. It's like those, you know, so you have your own system and you know what you're going to do when you're at this place, you know what you're going to do when you're here and you know the calls you're going to make, but then something comes up that has to be taken care of right now. And that's what, why you do all the others so that you're free to do that. So that you'll be right. Okay. Right. So, and I, and I agree, obviously, but so if you could just, well, look, look, that. there's one organization in the world that never has fires and crises. Fire department. Ah, okay. <laughs> right. There's, there's a fire station right over there. Let's go ask them, you know, what their fires and what, you know, how, how many times do you get a fire and crisis that that stresses you out? Right. They get juiced. Hey, Hey, something to go fix <laughs> something we didn't expect. Life's like that. Right. You know, so it, it really is, you know, it's it, in a way, even interruptions. Now, I have the cranky old saying that says, look, there are no interruptions. There are only mismanaged inputs. Yeah, <clears throat> right? I, if you're right. clean, by the way, with no backlog, any new input that's unplanned is a new opportunity to influence your world. If you have 3,000 emails hung up and you get new input, you're going to go, oh, damn. You know, right. I'm so overwhelmed anyway, I don't need any more. Of course. 
So take your pick. Yeah, so I think that's a very good point. You know, and I, I tell people that you want to be able to be more reactionary. That's, that's honestly part of it. And, and a big part of that is having the tools at your disposal to know how to deal with certain things that come in. Sure. You know. 90% of the use of my own systems is to be able to feel comfortable about handling spontaneous things I didn't expect. Right. You know, I, I get so many things I don't expect. A lot of cool things. Hey, David, want a party? Hey, David, hey, you know, let's get on a Skype call, you know, and because somebody did something I didn't, it's like, let me see. Hang on. Yes, let's go. So that's the, that's the whole point of the system is to be able to say, look, I can now scan my external brain. This input is actually more interesting or important than anything else in my world. So, but you better know what the rest of your world looks like. Otherwise, you'll be in the, in the oh, damn, you know, syndrome. Well, so I'm going to say something that's going to annoy a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> scheduling this interview with you was a lot easier than scheduling other interviews that I've had to do before with people who should be very, very busy. And we're doing this interview 25 minutes or almost or half an hour earlier than we had originally planned because... I finished something early, and I'm very pleasantly surprised that you were available. But that's really impressive, if you, if you don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, you have people who are, who are so busy and so hard to get a hold of, and, and their schedules are so... But to me, that doesn't... That, 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 there's something mismanaged there. Well, yeah, I, and I, I think it all comes down to, you know, well, what are you after in life, and is that the best way for you to get it? You know, as you know, that's, it's, all, it's all really about, well, what's that about? Now... I'm not suggesting everybody should do this, but I answer every single email and have all of my life within 24 to 48 hours, 72, whatever. And it comes right through my website to me. Anybody, any of you watching this, go to your website, send a thing to David Allen. Uh, my wife actually gets it because she's my sort of functioning EA, but she roots it right to me. And I answer everyone that, ha- that needs an answer or requires an answer or, or, that, or that's asking for, for something I do. And uh, same thing with pretty much everybody else. I don't get a lot of junk. Because I think, I think just psychologically, maybe spiritually, maybe some ectoplasmic way, that it, when you're that responsive, people pay a lot of attention to what they throw at you. If you're unresponsive, they, then they have to raise their noise level so high to get through to you. There's all kinds of crud you start, you start accumulating. So it's absolutely almost like right. the more crud you have around you, the more crud you attract. You're absolutely right. And, and you know, so you may give me a little slap on the wrist for this one, but I, uh, you know, a lot of people love this idea of, uh, oh, I only check email twice a day, which I think is a lie, by the way. Most people say that. Um, when people ask me how often I check my email, my answer is probably 30 times a day. And to be honest, I love my email. I love checking my email. because oh, there's, there's days I live on email. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's my work. There's something very... You, you know, Tony, Tony Shea, who, who, who runs you know, uh, uh, Zappos, you know, Tony's a smart guy. And he's done, he, he's created something called the, the Yesterbox. Yes, right. You know, he only, yeah. Fabulous tip. So Tony you know, only he, deals with email from yesterday, so he has a yeah, but, but that way he knows how much, how many hours to dedicate the next day to handling the work that is in email, and for him, it's average is three hours. So and he's still that's getting back the, to people within twenty four hours. That's where that's where work happens, you know. So uh, boy, I've been on email since before you were born. No, well, I don't know. There was, you know, nineteen nineteen eighty three. I got an IBM XT on my desktop and a Radio Shack Model one hundred and signed up with EasyLink, which was the the Western Union owned it back then. You know, that was back when, and you know, the, the little modems that you had to unplug the, the 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 phone from the wall and and alligator clip them on so you could anyway and i had to walk 14 miles in the snow you know oh my yeah God. you had to hold a candle <laughs> while you were typing on the keyboard 
uh, well, that's pretty close. I was born in 1982. So that's, um, yeah, I, 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 but I hear, but my point is that for, for everyone listening to this, that email is your tool. It's your tool for communicating with your world and you should use it as such. It's not supposed to be a leash and it's not supposed to be in the control of others. It's a wonderful thing. It's a, it's, I think it's the number one productivity tool in existence if you use it right. Sure. Yeah, me too. And there are days I don't look at it at all. Yeah. So that's the nice thing about when you work from a zero base instead of a 2000 base, yeah. it gives you a lot more latitude. Just let it go. You know, they, they, if there's an emergency, they can find me. But you really only can trust to do that. Again, it comes back to the emergency scan modality most people are living in because they don't zero it out. Right. So there's always these lurking things out there in this sense of I don't want to miss anything. And, and, and I, I, I kind of understand that. Of course, as you know, email has, has one of the reasons it's so addictive is it embodies one of the most powerful addicting kinds of syndromes, which is random positive reinforcement. Right. <laughs> right. If you're training, training a dog, you don't want to give them reinforcement every time they get the behavior. You want to make it random. And that actually is much more powerful. In yeah. terms of building in the behavior, so the same thing is true. Is is you know, email people. Yeah, I got to email. But let me look. Ooh, there's a YouTube thing. Ooh, that was a cool thing or whatever. So you get just enough positive reinforcement to keep you sucked in, to to keep checking and to keep doing it. So I understand. You know, it, it's thirty times a day because you're avoiding the rest of your life, or thirty times a day because that's where the work is. Right. Exactly. And, and <laughs> tricky, and, tricky, tricky line to walk. That's true. But and also, you know, I try to route as much as I can through my email like when I get a, if I get a voicemail it, it get, comes in through my email as you know transcribed and then I can sort of act on that and so forth sure. so uh, well one of the things I want to ask about actually is are, I know that your wife is your your de facto EA but how do you feel about virtual assistants and outsourcing and delegating in general hey, why not <laughs> but are there systems to it that you like to stick to or no I mean come on Uber's an outsource yeah you know, frankly, Whole Foods is an outsource. Yeah. Sure. Right. But, Absolutely. But everything's outsourced except, I mean, essentially everything is outsourced. Yeah. Right? Whether the true. person sitting right next to you or not, called, there's a transom between me and, me and Catherine. It's either in her plate or mine. <laughs> right. So what's the difference? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I know, um, uh, you know, Tim and, and, every, and you, you guys are, and yeah, outsource everything. Absolutely. I mean, nothing absolutely wrong with that. But I still have a company of 40 people. Because we're trying to change the planet. We're, we're trying to create world domination of GTD. You know? <laughs> You're pretty close. <laughs> no, I, you know, I don't know. We've got a long way to go. But I say that because, you know, sure, anything that, that could be outsourced is, is fine. But, it, you know, if everything could be outsourced, you don't need, you don't need to be married. Right. That's, that's a good point. I, well, no, it's just funny. And it's funny about the world domination because, uh, so Fancy Hands is a virtual assistant company that uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of. And they, uh, they host the GTD meetup in this, in New York city a lot. And, uh, I, I'll tell you, they often refer to your book as the book, you know, so we have to see what the book says. So I think you're pretty close. <laughs> well, I, I get it. But see, if you really understand what's the purpose of these things and you, you know, you really can unpack all of it. And there is a, you know, say, okay, everything should be outsourced. I go, well, everything is outsourced, right? Right. But, but you can do it better. Oh, sure. Well, you can always do something better. Can somebody do this as good as me with less money and less time and effort in terms of what you're doing? So, no, no, no. no. Okay. I'm, actually, I'm actually referring to your own process of delegating. You know, so when I, I, one of the things that I, I talk about is that when you're, when you're giving a task to somebody or when you're laying out a task, it's important to, to sort of optimize those steps first 
and and see how you can get it. You know, as, as... oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. As a matter of fact, that's probably one of the things that that you're the, the process of finding other people to be able to give it to is going to make you a lot clearer about what your work is. It's going right. to it'll it'll force you to probably have to think about. Wait a minute, what is the process here? How do I not get something coming back to me that's un, that's unclear? You know, so you know the guys who built Thirty Seven Signals. You know, their new book out called Working Remotely yeah. is really it's you know it's that's, that's everything is 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 virtual. You right. know, because they can they can now hire globally. Right. Well, I understood that software and that's, you know, that that's a unique, you know, kind of a kind of a business that you can, you know, that people can often work that way. But it's not a matter of whether it's a matter of when, you know, the world will just become more and more of that. Right. Well, and, and in that vein of what you said about how you can always be doing it better and everything, I, I, I actually feel that a lot of times if an outsourced partner does a, a poor job of something, I really look back at the person who delegated the task. You know, because if you don't understand the process yourself, because you're just on autopilot, you know, and you haven't really identified the steps, then it's very difficult to then, you know, properly delegate that. Sure. Right. So, uh, in terms of organizations, you know, and, and, and teams, is it just, you just look at it as sort of individual people being more efficient and then working together with the system, or is there a, sort of a, a, a meta level of applying GTD? Yes. Can you tell me what it is? <laughs> yes. No, there's yes to all of that. Yeah, it is both individuals, but when you think about it, see, if you're the last and only person on the planet, you don't need GTD. Right. So that means GTD is all about your intersections. Okay. But, so the better you are, Ari, with managing yourself, that's going to up-level every single intersection you have, every single engagement with your team, every single engagement with your family, every single engagement with everything else. So you say, well, you being better at this does that affect those intersections? Absolutely. So an individual up-leveling themselves, moving up the food chain in terms of responsiveness, as we're talking about, is going to affect, is going to move everything up at least a little bit in terms of up-leveling whatever they're engaged in and whoever they're engaged with. So to that end, yes, the individuals being changed and up-leveling what they're doing has an immediate effect on team, organization, you know, collaborative efforts. In a way, you, you will hold people, especially if you're willing to hold people to that. Say, you know, you're talking to somebody, they're not writing it down, and you say, excuse me, would you like me to write that down for you? You know, you'll start to, people start to feel a little embarrassed if they're walking around, you know, not having done any of this stuff really well. So, so you, can, you can change a lot simply by osmosis and just simply by you starting to demonstrate those standards and holding other people to your own hey, you know, here's a pristineness in terms of what I need to keep track of and what I need from you. And by the way, here's my, I've got six things waiting for you. How are we doing on these? So you don't have to say GTD. You just have to start implementing these practices and it will have an, an impact immediately on your ecosystem and everybody in it. Sure. So that's, that said, yes, you're right. All the principles that I uncovered in GTD in this process actually apply to any enterprise as well. So I could walk into your family and say, what's got your family's attention right now, Ari? I could walk into your team and say, what's got your team's attention right now? And we'll do exactly the same thing. We'll capture what's got your attention as a group. We will then clarify what exactly are those things. You know, how should we think about what those things are and what they mean? We'll then create some sort of an organization. Okay, you handle that. This goes over here. Let's park this in the database. Mm -hmm. And then we'll need to build some review and reflection process. How often or how soon or frequently do we need to review what we came up with here and where does that go? 
What the team won't probably get down to is the next action level. So right. the okay. team will, could take you down to the project or the outcome level as long as I have accountability. Hey, Ari, look, would you just hand, would you just make sure that the conference logistics are handled? Great. Can you, you know, let me know, you know, when do you think you can do that by? Fabulous. You'll decide the next actions when you walk out of that meeting about what you need to do, about what you just inherited or what you just took on. That's not my job to manage that. That's yours. But the, the team context, if you really understand that, is the same thing. Right. You know, the whole process of holacracy, which, you know, you may have heard about that, that, that we've been involved in. Uh, those guys were serious GTDers. They said, how do we create organizational mind like water? So they've really drilled this into, you know, how do you actually do that? Because it's very complex. Once you have, you know, you could have a clear head, Ari, and I can have a clear head, me, David. And then you and I get together. Boy, we've exponentially increased the complexity of our agreements. Right. And the right. necessity for communication and clarity. So it's not like, okay, you get clear and I get clear and everything is handled. No, not quite. Right. You clear, yeah, will make it easier for me and me clear. That'll make it easier for us to then unpack the complexity and weirdness that shows up when you and I try to do something together. <laughs> so <laughs> if you kind of, if you sort of catch that, that's why, yes. So that's why there is a big kind of yes to what you said. It is both individual and organizational in terms of the application of these principles. Sure, absolutely. I mean, and obviously this applies to a family as well. I mean, as far as of how course. you manage your husband. Yeah, of course. So let's talk about next steps for a second. So when you're breaking down next steps, it's, it's sort of like micro goals, right? And, and, and you said moving the needle too, which I think is a very important concept. You know, the, and, and you also mentioned how you're, you're winning a lot, right? So with these, with these next steps, the huge insurmountable task then becomes manageable and you're constantly winning and you're constantly you know, having more progress because of that. So if you're breaking something down to an, into next steps, that also makes it, this is the question, that makes it so that you can then switch between different tasks a little more easily, right? Because you know what the next lever is to pull, even if it's not on the same task. Exactly. See, thinking is not required, just choosing and deciding. Right. Okay. See, that's if you haven't figured out the next step, there's still thinking involved. And that's why finishing that, once you finish the thinking, so I get it down to the action level, that's a phone call on that thing. Then the question is not, I keep looking at this project going, ah, you know, that's the problem is most people, if you don't get it down to next actions, whatever your reminders are of your work, you keep looking at it and it's reminding you, you still have decisions and thinking you haven't finished yet. And if you don't have the energy to think and decide, you look at your list and go, ah, stop reminding me I'm overwhelmed. And most people's existential experience with their own list and their own planners and their own systems is fatigue because what they're looking at is something still unfinished in terms of the thinking about what do I do on this? That was the brilliance of the next action concept, which I didn't make up, by the way. A mentor of mine taught me, you know, years ago because okay. uh, he, he uncovered that as a way to unstick executives thinking and lack of decision making about all the crap they just piled up around them. They couldn't, they couldn't get their focus until they actually started to unstick a lot of stuff. And the way you unstick it is what's the very, very next thing you need to do about this? So it's, it's a, such a powerful process. Right. And now that's a very simple thing. And even if that next step might be asking someone else what the next step is, I mean, because what if you don't know? That's, you know, what if you don't know what the next step is? Like, obviously, yeah. you know, get Valentine's Day gift. I could say, okay, sure. I got to do it right. But what about if you really don't know? Pick up the phone, punch seven numbers. See who answers. Say hi. Do you know anything about X Y Z? If you don't, do you know anybody who might? You'll you'll be you'll you you can connect to the Pope in six calls. <laughs> right. But, but so, so but then that if you don't know, step. then how would you find out? 
And usually there's an external thing to do. I need to surf the web. I need to get some information. I need to set a meeting with my two key people and get them to brainstorm the ideas. Sometimes it is internal. I just need to sleep on this. And I need to wait for further data to show up internally, which is actually a very good executive thing to do at an appropriate time. So you just need to then build in a system that says, okay, when do you need to be reminded of that? To, to rethink it again. And that gives you the freedom to actually incubate on it. So incubate, as you know, is a very, very, very important critical category to, of, of things. Okay, I, I don't know what to do on this yet, but I'm going to remind myself in two weeks that if I haven't decided, I then need to yank my chain again and see if I'm ready. That's absolutely appropriate. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a holocratic principle that you should avoid any decision to the last responsible moment. Because there may be better data, right? But last right. responsible moment, that's a, that's a pregnant statement. The last responsible moment, you want to hold off and then make the best judgment call you can based upon data that you've gotten. So right. it actually is a very executive function to understand, I, I'm not ready to decide about this yet. But I always push back when I'm coaching executives or whatever about that. And they say, I don't know what to do about this. I say, well, what kind of data do you need and what do you need to do to get it? And there's always, the, oh, yeah, I need to meet, set a meeting. I need to... I need to go get some data from XYZ. I need to, I need to go review this document. There's usually something that they're avoiding thinking about that they actually need to do about it. And there are times when, nope, I just need to sleep on it. And that's perfectly appropriate, as long as you have a decide-not-to-decide system. Well, it's a difference between procrastinating and deferring, if you ask Correct. me, right? Deferring is doing it to a more appropriate time. And again, sure. actually, so I really like what you just said, too, about the last responsible moment. And it's, it's one of the things that I'm always pushing my coaching clients on is that you, you have to be making decisions a lot. And it is tiring, obviously, at the end of the day, if you make a thousand decisions. But being stagnant doesn't help anybody. And even if you make the, you know, the wrong decision, at least you're then in a new place with new information, maybe a little bit wiser, and then you can make a better decision. Sure. So I, I just I, I think that that makes a ton of sense. So... When they're looking at next steps, do you want to just look at the very next step or do you want to try to see three to four moves down the chessboard? I mean, whatever you need to do to get that off your mind. Okay. Very different for everything. Right. You know, it's like how much do you need to actually, in order to get this project off your mind, how, how comfortable do you need to be that it's under control? If you've done 93 of these projects, you could do them in your sleep. You don't need anything but the next trigger step. You're comfortable that whatever happens after that, you'll know exactly what to do next. If you've never done that kind of project before, you might need to have a room full of four people and create a Gantt chart, you know, 16 Gantt charts around the wall, you know, before you, some part of you says, okay, now I feel comfortable we've handled contingencies and I know what I'm not, you know. So it, it just depends on what you need to do. But even if it's in that latter case, you could have a next action about doing that. So, I, in other words, I, I, I need to determine a process action step set meeting with key people. Right. That's pretty simple. Or draft ideas, Ray, X, Y, Z is a next step. So those are as simple as any others. And so you can still get that thing off your mind with only a simple action step that you determine. But if there's, yeah, but there's a lot of complexity. I, okay, great. So what's your next step in unraveling all that complexity? Sure. Like what, would okay. you, what would you need to do? Right now, I'm going to pay you a million dollars, Ari, to start unraveling that complexity. I guarantee you, you'd find something to do. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be very specific, and it wouldn't be just sit there and think. Right. You're going to grab a pen. You're going to start mind mapping. You go to your computer. You start writing a PowerPoint presentation. You know, I don't know what you'll do, or you walk over and talk to your wife. Say, hey, can you sit down with me and help me think through this? Right, you'll figure out something. Right. No, that, and, and that makes complete sense. So now, but let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Okay. So the outcome. 
sometimes, well, two things. One, sometimes it's not clear what the outcome should be or shouldn't be. And then sometimes the outcome might change, right? Given new information and better information. Oh. How, do, how do you sort, well, how do you deal with those two issues? Well, uh, first of all, if, if your desired outcome is to get clear about what your outcome is, that's your project. Right. Okay. It's called so R and D. Yeah. You know, if you looked on my project list, you'd see a bunch of R. I need to look into, or I need to get clear about that. That's a project. Most people don't acknowledge that those are some of the more subtle projects that are going on. Which is the hmm, this is kind of bugging me. I'm getting, I'm getting my chain yanked about this thing. I'm not sure what to do yet. Oh, I go to my project list. Clarify situation. Ray person X. That's now a project. Right. Well, how was my next step? Oh, I guess uh, these are, by the way, these are the tougher ones to grapple with. That's why most people, even though they think they've made complete lists, they haven't made complete lists yet. So okay. very few people have a complete project list because a project means there's some outcome that you want to accomplish. So er, there are no problems, by the way. There are only projects. Right. Yeah. Right. That's how that's how you handle Crohn's. Right. There, there are no problems. There are only projects. Where, where most people see problems, entrepreneurs see opportunities. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I see some outcome that I need to, to get to. Right. You know, problem is just plays the victim game as opposed to, look, can you do anything about this? Yes or no? You know, and, you know, you need to come up with that answer. Uh, yeah. or, or at least pretend that there might be an answer, as you did, you know, that says, yeah, cool. But you made that a project. Right. You know, they got, they got lots of folks out there that would say GTD actually helped them go through all of that because they were able to take something that most people would sit back and go, this is too complex. I don't know what to do. Oh, my God. I'm the victim of life and go, wait a minute. <laughs> let me grab hold of the steering wheel here. I know we're in stormy seas, but, you know, let me at least get a hold of the helm. Right. And, and, and also just for people to sort of clarify as well. It's not just about one project being too big. This also enables you to answer that question of like, oh, I don't know where to start. Well, it's like, okay, look at everything you have to do and look at what the next step is. Then you know, right? Yeah. Because then you've decided among them. And it's always still going to be an intuitive judgment call. And you don't get right. rid of the challenges. Come on. Right. Jeez, I'm, I'm, I'm having to constantly decide and reprioritize minute to minute to minute to minute to minute. You know, my wife just called while we were chatting because we started a little bit early and she's at the airport flying up to San Francisco. And, and so I don't know, like, should I should I stop this right now and have and let's re-record that? I'm hoping she's OK and she's done what she's done. But I decided life's like that. But the, the whole day is I'm constantly choosing. So you don't get rid of the challenges to use your, in, your intuitive judgments. You just want to make sure those are coming from trust as opposed to driven by latest and loudest. Right. But you also obviously and, and I do. Definitely thrive on that excitement a little bit, right? I mean, yeah, you get yeah. to, you'd be bored, but we'd all be bored, stupid, probably if you didn't get, you know, lots of surprises and unplanned and unexpected stuff, for sure. Right. I mean, it really is. A lot of this stuff is about perspective and about framing it in the appropriate way. You know, as you said, it's not, it's not a problem. It's a project. It's, you know, it's not, it's a surprise. It's not a bad thing. It's, a, it's an exciting thing. It's a good thing that you can sort of yeah. feed on that energy. And by the way, just on that point, because folks listening to this who may not have heard my, my, my shtick on that, that the reason a lot of people feel that interruptions are so negative is because they don't trust their own ability to handle that input in such a way that they don't have to go deal with it right now. Right. They don't trust their own in-basket. They don't trust that they can take a note and then come back and loop back around and pick that up. So then they say, okay, because it's something I do need to handle, I have to go handle it when it's in my face because that's the only way I can manage that. And then they get pissed off at whoever bothered them for disturbing their world. 
So the truth is, is the better your systems are and the more you trust that I can put placeholders for things, that allows you to evaluate this input. Gee, is that more important than, yes, it is. Boom, placeholder that. You know, if I got surprised right now or whatever, I would make some sort of a placeholder, throw that in my in basket and then go handle that. Sometimes, uh, there are many times I'll print stuff that I'm writing on the computer and throw it in my own in-basket because something else showed up that needed me to de detour off of that. And so I want to, I uh, that's just easy to let me print the last page and throw it right in my own in-basket. That lets me know where I left off. Right. Right. So now I come back, and that's why I, I'm never going to get rid of my physical in-basket because that's the best place to see placeholder because they're in my face. And I have the habit of driving that to zero. So then, that, then now I have a trusted system to placehold. That's really, really critical if you're managing you know, through an external brain to make sure that that's really trusted in that way. And I don't think most people catch that. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, I, I'm kind of surprised here. We're actually just about out of time. And I think that that's a really well-rounded point to sort of end on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you just blew my mind for this hour. <laughs> Honestly, David, it's been it really such a pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, and, mutual, Ari. Thanks. Well, thank fun. you. Um, and uh, thank you for sharing all that information. And um, I, I know that, that people, if they haven't tried GGD, they're definitely something that you should give a chance in your life and your work because it will help you get the things done that you want to get done. So, David, once again, thank you. Yeah, well, hang on a second. Because here's, here's my other girlfriend who has to, who has to say uh, hello. I saw her in the background before. Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is Suki. So she's, 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 she's my heartthrob. Yes. Yes, I know you miss your mommy, but I'm here. Yes. Well, thank you, David, and thank you, Suki. <laughs> Thanks, Ari.